Well, good morning. You guys can be seated. It is uh, it's great to, to be back. Our family was out last week. We were out of town, and so it's good to be back and to good to see um, you guys here today. So last week, we, we started our sermon series in the book of Exodus, and Eric uh, took us through chapter one, and um, it's a heavy chapter, chapter one is. I mean, there's, there's a lot there, um, slavery and ethnic cleansing, murder, infanticide, kind of a great way to start a book, right? But that was the reality. I mean, that was what was happening in that, in that time. I mean, the, the Israelites, they were, they were living in Egypt. They'd, they'd grown to a large number of, of people, and the, the Egyptians, they were, they were getting nervous. So the, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he, he ordered the, the Egyptian midwives to, to kill the Israelite sons as they were being born. Israelites knew, they, yeah, they, they knew what was going on, but they were weak, and they were powerless in Egypt. They, they couldn't do anything. They were desperate. As a people, they, they needed a mediator. They needed someone to save them. They needed a savior. And so this, this kind of, you think about this, what was going on at that time, and it, and it begs the question, when we're, when we're facing difficult times in our, in our own lives, where is God when it seems like we can't catch a break? Where is God when it seems like our whole world is falling apart around us? You know, many of you, many of you guys know that um, my, my mom passed away a few weeks ago from, from cancer, and, and uh, I, was, I was in Atlanta with her for close to a week, you know, during that, during that time, and um, it was hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And just being with her and being with her as she was taking her last breaths was just gut-wrenching. It was really, really hard. She, she passed away on a, on a Thursday, and I came home on, a, on that Friday night. And um, Marianne and I love to ride bikes in our neighborhood. And so Saturday night, we were, we were out riding bikes in our neighborhood. And about five minutes into the bike ride, I got hit in the eye with some kind of bug and scratched my cornea. And if you've never had your cornea scratched, good for you, because that junk hurts. And I, I literally thought I'd, with everything going on, I thought I'd, get, I thought I'd gotten hit with a murder hornet. It was, it was so bad, it hurt so bad, but it was just a bug. So Monday morning, I was at the eye doctor, but the night before that, our daughter comes in our room at, I don't know, sometime in the middle of the night, and um, she's nocturnal, so she comes in sometime in the middle of the night, and she had cut her foot with a piece of glass. And so we had to deal with that. And um, we didn't realize it at the time, but the piece of glass had actually gotten lodged in her foot. We couldn't see it, we couldn't tell, but we, we felt like we got it patched up and kind of set aside and kind of ready to, to go back to sleep at some point in the middle of the night there. Also on Sunday night, one of our other daughters eats something and has an allergic reaction. Not life-threatening, but her face was swollen for the better part of, of a week. So on, on Tuesday night, we realized that this piece of glass was still in Holland's foot. And so um, because there's a pandemic going on, we didn't want to go to the ER. So we instead, we went to urgent care. 
So we go to urgent care, they take your temperature on your forehead, and we walked right in. After about three hours of sitting there, they determined that they couldn't help us. And so they sent us to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room. It was a hot day, and we had to park way out in the parking lot. So we walked from the, from the car to the emergency room door, sun beating down on, on us. And so when we got to the door of the emergency room, again, they checked our temperature on the forehead. Hollins registered 102 fever. Didn't have a fever at urgent care. Now she has 102 fever at the ER. And they immediately, they're on high alert, obviously. And so they immediately put her into coronavirus protocol. Put her in a wheelchair and were wheeling her over to a separate part of the hospital where only people that they suspect have coronavirus would go. She's crying and freaking out. And I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing and I'm thinking, Lord, what else? What else could happen? God is good. I got an answer that night. I'm, I'm on our Debu group call and in my office at home, and um, one of my sons comes walking into my office, and he's got blood literally streaming down his face from his forehead all over his face. And he had been out in the woods on his bike and had flipped over and landed on his face. And so I, I, I learned my lesson. And at that moment, I didn't ask God what else. Instead, I just prayed. I said, God, I need you right now. I know you're working on me through all this. Please show me. Show me what I need to know right now. And so I, I, I tell you all that, right? It was, a, it was a rough couple of weeks. But I tell you all that to, to lay out just one simple sentence that's going to be our main idea today. And that is, God uses difficult circumstances to prepare us for his service. God uses difficult circumstances to prepare us for his his service. And so that's going to set up chapter 2 in Exodus. So if if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't, the scripture is going to be on the screen here. But what we're going to do is we're going to take that chapter, we're going to split it in two, and uh, we're going to read the first first half of, of Exodus 2, we're going to kind of dig into that, and then we're going to do the same with the second half of, of Exodus 2, and that will be our time today. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and, and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, 
because she said, I drew him out of the water. So here we have Moses' mother, right? I mean, defying Pharaoh's edict that all Israelite sons should be killed at birth. She places him in, a, in an ark of sorts, floats him in the, in the Nile so that, that someone would find him, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, brings him to, to safety. And so that, that, that brings us to our first point. First point is this, God equips us in desperate situations to accomplish his will. God equips us in desperate situations to accomplish his will. But you kind of think about it, he's equipping someone here, right? Who did God equip? Moses? No. Moses, Moses was an infant, incapable of, of caring for himself, really in the most basic of, of ways. So in this, in, this, in this first verse, think about this. In this first verse, we have this kind of, kind of nondescript story about a, about a husband and a wife who just happened to be of the house of Levi. And if you, if you kind of know the, the rest of the story in Exodus, then you know that the Levites would become the priestly tribe of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. But they, but they definitely didn't start out that way. If you think back to the end of the book of, of Genesis, then you remember Jacob, he's, he's blessing his 12 sons while, while he's on his deathbed. And he got to Levi and Simeon, and he cursed their anger because they had killed many men. So instead of a blessing, he's, he's cursing their anger. And I, I, I chose my words carefully there. Um, while Jacob cursed their anger, he didn't curse them. He didn't, he didn't curse them. The, the Levites would recover as a, as a tribe, as I've said. I mean, so they, they would become the priestly tribe. The, the Simeonites, they didn't. And we would read that later on in Numbers 25, where the Simeonites just never recovered as a as a tribe. But in these, in these verses, we see God, he's, he's equipping Moses' mother with the faith necessary to, to believe that God would save her son from Pharaoh's edict to kill the Israelite sons here. We, you know, we don't know much about Moses' parents. We don't get a lot here in, in scripture, but, but we know from, from reading the text that, that they were in a desperate situation. I imagine Moses' mother I mean, think about the, the love and the care that she would have felt toward her newborn son. You, you think about her holding him and watching him as he nursed, wanting nothing more than to protect her son. We, we know by her actions that that she felt as though she had to give up control. She had to give up control. She couldn't control that, that situation. And she had, she had faith that, that God would, would save her son. So then as the, as the story goes, Moses was, was nursed and taught by his own mother, and she even got paid to, to take care of, of her own son. So I mean, kind of, I mean, if you think about it, in this horrible situation, they're in kind of a win-win in a really bad situation. Moses lives and is cared for by his, by his mother. So then after he grows up, he's taken to Pharaoh's daughter and becomes Pharaoh's daughter's um, son. He lives in Pharaoh's house, was taught, and had every benefit of, of being the king's grandson. Think about the irony here. God was, God was raising up a deliverer for Israel, 
right under the nose of Pharaoh. This child who would, who would grow up in Pharaoh's house would one day be the, be the man who would deliver the Israelites from Egypt, from slavery, from Pharaoh. So this, this kind of this brings up an important point here. I mean, we, you know, we may sometimes we feel like our world is, is falling apart around us, but even in the most desperate of, of situations, God is working out his perfect will. We, we see that. We see that in these, in these verses. So let's move on. We'll move on to uh, the second half of the chapter. And so we're going to read um, verses 11 to 22 here. So let's, let's go. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian, and he, said to him, and he hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled troughs to, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, "'How is it that you have come home so soon today?' And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Okay, so obviously some time had passed, right? Between between verses 10 and 11. I see Moses as an infant, and now we see him older in this. In this. And we look, at, we look at Acts chapter 7, we see that Moses was about 40 years old when he struck down the Egyptians. So, so Moses had spent the first 40 years of his life you know, protected in Pharaoh's house, but now everything in Moses' life had changed, right? I mean, as Pharaoh's grandson, I mean, you could make the argument that Moses had the right to kill that Egyptian, but even Moses knew that he was guilty of, of wrongdoing. The text tells us that he first, he looks around to make sure that no one was looking. And then after he, he kills the Egyptian, he, he buries him in the sand. Moses, his conscience told him that, that he was in trouble. And he, he wanted to hide his, his sin. And when he returned the next day, his, his crime was, was outed and he panicked. Moses, he was now, he was a fugitive, right? He was, he was on the run for his life. So our, our first point was God equips us in desperate situations to accomplish with his will. And now the second point is God grows us in desperate situations to accomplish his will. So God grows us in desperate situations to accomplish his will. So Moses went here, he went from being Pharaoh's grandson to being his enemy. It's not like today where you can just, you, can, you know, you can block somebody on social media if you don't want to hear from them, right? I mean, this was a big deal 
Moses had a bounty on his head set by the king. Not only that, his people, the, the Hebrews in Egypt, they rejected him. He was alone. He had nowhere to go. So he left, left the country to a place where no one knew him. Kind of start over. So Moses, he finds refuge in Midian. And he fled to Midian because the Midianites were of the seed of Abraham. And they, they worshiped the one true God. They were his people. They were his people. But when he got there, he was, you know, he's used to being royalty as Pharaoh's grandson. But when he gets to Midian, he is of no royalty. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's like he was, a, he was a, like a corporate vice president or something. And he's at the height of his career. And now he's a 40-year-old starting a new career working in the mailroom. I mean, like there's, everything had changed for him. But God was, God was growing him. He was immediately faced with a situation where some young women were, were being harassed and, and abused. And this time, instead of killing the abusers, he, he drove them away. So I don't, I don't think we need to give Moses props here for not killing these guys. But I mean, progress, right? I mean, last time he kills someone, this time he drives them away. It's, it's progress. God is, God is growing him. So in, a, in addition to tempering his anger here, he, he, he goes into servant mode and he, he waters uh, Ruel's flock. This was, this was typically a job done by women at the time. So, you know, Moses was humbling himself here. So in a, in a short time, we see Moses, he goes from, from murderer to humble servant. God was growing him. He was growing him from being self-righteous to becoming more like a righteous deliverer. Not just a deliverer, but a servant leader. Yeah, becoming, a, becoming a great leader takes time. While Moses spent the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house, he spent the next 40 years likely working as a shepherd. If we Think about if we, if we saw this story today, I mean, think about if we're in the line at Publix and we're waiting to check out and we've got the magazine here and it's talking about some Hollywood star and, you know, what they're doing right now. And then over here, there's, you know, the National Enquirer is this. And then we see the one in the middle and it's Moses and it talks about Moses' downfall. I mean, we would look at that and we would say, wow, you know, what a, what a fall from grace Moses had. But in reality... We see God showing Moses grace and growing him and preparing him for a job that he was not qualified to do. We aren't, we aren't told much about those 40 years that Moses spent in, in Midian, but, but we are given the benefit of seeing what God did next in his life. I mean, we don't, we don't have stories of hardships and sacrifices, but, but we but we know that, that God took a man from an upbringing where he lived in an idolater's house, a, a man who didn't value the life of another person made in the image of God, and he, and he changed his heart. You know, it's, as we read this, you know what's missing from these first 22 verses that we've read? Not one hint or mention of God. Nowhere in the first 22 verses. If you think we're missing seeing God in these verses, 
do you think Moses was feeling? What do you think he was thinking in that, in that, in that time? I mean, this, this text teaches us that, that when God seems most hidden, he's not. When, when suffering and tragedy are, are at its greatest, God is present. Behind our, behind our suffering, God is working for our good and for his glory. And we, and we see in the final three verses of this chapter, we, we see God in these final three, we see God mentioned in these final three verses of this chapter. And Eric read them last week, but I want to read them again. It says, starting in verse 23, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Eighty years covers a lifetime for most people. But, but think about our, our own sanctification process as, as believers. Once we become a Christian, once we become a believer, we're, we begin a process of sanctification or, or growing into the, into the, the likeness of, of Jesus. It, it's a time of preparation. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it takes the rest of our lives. So thinking about this, thinking about how God is growing us, what, what is God preparing you for today? It's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. I mean, what's God preparing me for today? I mean, this, this account of Moses' birth and then eventual fleeing to, to Midian, I mean, it seems like a fairly simple story, but it has huge implications for each one of us in our, in our lives. And at the, at the point of Moses' birth, Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for over 300 years. They were desperate. They were in serious need of a mediator, someone who could stand up for them and plead their case for redemption. They were in need of a savior, someone to rescue them from the chains that, that bound them. When Moses was placed in the river, there was absolutely nothing he could do to save himself. He needed someone else to, to rescue him. While Moses would eventually become a deliverer for Israel, Jesus, we see Jesus, and he was a, a better and truer Moses. He, didn't know, he needed no one to rescue him from the cross. In fact, he, he went willingly to the cross to die the death that we deserve because of our sin. The Bible tells us that despite all the good that we try to do, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right before God. Absolutely nothing. In fact, the, the Bible goes on to say that, that no one is righteous, that no one does good, that even our, our, our good deeds are dirty rags before him. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And like, like Moses was rescued from certain death in the river, Jesus stands ready to save us, to mediate on our behalf before God. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you're listening today, I mean, let me, let me introduce you to your ultimate mediator and savior, Jesus. He stands ready today to save you, 
to bring you into his family and guarantee you every benefit and privilege of being the son or daughter of the king. If you don't, if you don't know him, please find me after the service. Talk to me. I would love to tell you about the hope I have in him. How you can experience the same. For the, for the Christian in the room, there's no doubt that we can look anywhere around us today, right, and see that the world is broken. One look at the news, social media, schools, the workplace, tells us that, that we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I, I can't imagine living over the past weeks, months, experiencing what we've gone through as a country and not having, not having the, the, the faith and hope in Jesus. I can't imagine it. But there's so many of our neighbors who don't have the same hope that we have. So I, I ask you, I mean, are, are, you, are you burdened for your neighbor? Are you burdened for your neighbor? If so, how are you loving them today? There, there are many ways that as individuals and as the church, there are many ways that we can show love to others who are desperate or hurting or in need. And New City Church does that. And all of those things are great. But there's only one way to love them that's eternal. And that's by sharing the hope that you have in the gospel. It's the only way. It's eternal. Romans chapter 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Brothers and sisters, let me lay a truth bomb on you today. Our words, our words have no power. They have no power. We may have the best of intentions, but there's only one message we have that has the power to change someone's heart and save their soul for eternity. And that's the gospel. New City Church, let's, let's go share the hope that we have in Christ with someone this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are mighty and you are good. Lord, we thank you, God, for this, this word that we have today, Lord, and how you are revealing, how you are working Lord, that you were always present. Lord, that even in desperate and difficult times and situations, Lord, you were there and you were working to, to bring about good. For our good, Lord, for your glory. We thank you, God, for ultimately sending Jesus to, to live and, and to die on the cross, Lord, and to be resurrected again to save us. Lord, he is our mediator. He is our savior. And we thank you, God, so much for that. It's in his holy name that we pray today.